0: I have been able to hear our presiding bishop, who's named Michael Curry, preach several times in person. He's a dynamic and fascinating preacher. If you've never heard him before, I encourage you to do so. A lot of his sermons are available online. But one thing I heard him do before that I'd never seen an Episcopal priest do is he was in the pulpit. First of all, he had in the pulpit a Bible and I'd never seen an Episcopal priest with a Bible in the pulpit. And the readings had been read. It was a January cold day, like this one. Snow was not on the ground, but he did say this. He said, What I want to do now is I want to, and he opened his Bible and he flipped to John's Gospel near the end. He said, I want to lift a text from John's Gospel. John's Gospel had not been read, by the way. And it was the most graceful and liturgical way of just changing the subject I've ever seen. I don't know if he didn't care for the lessons or he just wanted to focus elsewhere or both. And the moment I saw him do that, I was so, I thought, my goodness, I hope I get to do that one day. <laughs> and in a way I do today, I'm not going to lift a text, but I am going to change the subject, so to speak, because today is our annual meeting, vestry Election, and my annual report will be the sermon at all of the services. So we're going to meander away from the lessons and instead focus on where we are as a parish and perhaps a little bit about where we're headed, much for the honor and just the delight, the humbling delight of being your dean and your rector. I am so grateful to be here. One of the most remarkable things about this place, if not the most remarkable thing, is that of all the great American urban cathedrals, We're as beautiful as any one of those, but we probably have the largest parish. And that's what draws me here more than anything else. One of the things that got articulated so clearly and carefully through the interim period is that what you wanted in a dean and a rector is someone who is first and foremost a parish priest. And that's what I love most. And that's the glory of this place. We're a parish first. And a cathedral second. And it's those two realities together. And if we get both of them bright, my goodness, the sky's the limit with God's help. I'm humbled and delighted to have this position. I love working with all of you. One of the things that fascinates me so much about this place, from day one, I've often been confused about who works here and gets paid and who works here and volunteers. The lines are awfully blurry. We have incredible servers, incredible acolytes, incredible choir, incredible volunteers on committees and cooks in the kitchen and godly playthings. The ushers could not be any more hospitable. And Diane Cast and the altar guild and on and on. What makes this place, the magic of this place, is the parish and all of you who are volunteers. Thank you so, so much for all that you do. And know that I know a bit about what you do. God knows all of what you do. And we're profoundly grateful. It's what makes this place the graceful, amazing place that it is. I Also, am so profoundly grateful for our parish staff. Um, They do so much to make this place run so smoothly. I do want to name two of them at the great risk of not naming all of them. But two, I've got to say a word about. One is um, Ian Thompson, who's to my right and who is just so graceful. He knows this liturgy inside and out, but perhaps even more importantly, he just does it with such a graceful and charming touch. His English accent helps a bit with that, doesn't it? And the second person is, and I don't know how many of you know this gentleman, but his name is Billy Baker. He's the one that does the leaflets and any number of things. All three of your priests are new, of course. And we've maybe relied on Billy more than anybody else. When someone put a face with it, Billy's literally the first person we go to. And what he does in every single occasion, we say, tell us about Susan Smith. She's in ICU. Tell us about Chuck Miller who died. You know what he does? He tells you one or about 15 stories. He knows this parish. I think his title, I actually don't know what his title is, but I know what it should be. He should, his title should be the keeper of the stories. It's a holy, holy work. And I love working with him too. It's also a great time to work with Katie and Broderick. Um, I've never enjoyed working with clergy so much in my entire life. Broderick, he often says that he's not a poet, but I find him to be a prophetic poet or a poetic prophet. I think his sermons and his teachings are just so fascinating in the way he carries himself and prays with and for us means the world to me and I hope to you. And the same thing goes for Katie. I learned so much from her as well. Katie, perhaps better than any priest I've ever known, has this ability to resist the first reading, to resist the, the superficial and most obvious reading of a text or a person or an occasion. She always looks below the surface to those deeper Subtle undercurrents that need more attention and grace, but so often go unnoticed in our lives. I've also never laughed more with clergy in my entire life and have a great deal of fun working with the two of them. My home diocese is essentially the Diocese of Alabama. It's where I was confirmed as the diocese that sent me to seminary. And at the heart of that great diocese is Camp McDowell. It's literally in the middle of nowhere in a place called Nauvoo, Alabama. I can say it's the middle of nowhere because I'm from right around there. It's a camp much like Cathedral Ridge. And the first time I went to Camp McDowell, and I still, after going hundreds of times, notice this one particular place every single time I go, you're driving through camp and you hit the top of a hill that's followed by just forest or woods and you don't know what if you've not been there before. And at the top, before you you go down, before you descend, whatever's there, there is right in front of you, you can't miss it, an enormous white fork, literally, that you eat with. Enormous. A kind of statue of a fork. Kind of symbol for what Camp McDowell's quirkiness. One of the reasons why I'm drawn to St. John's is because in so many ways, and the, and the interim articulated this beautifully, we as a cathedral are at a fork in the road. I don't want to overstate it, because you've, you've faced other forks in the road throughout your long and wonderful and complex history. And we will undoubtedly, decades and centuries from now, face other such forks in the road. But we are at a moment that I think most people grasp, organizationally, financially, spiritually. That we need to get this right. And there's a sense, I feel it, and I know some of you do too, that the decisions we make today, the prayers we say today, the questions we ask and wrestle with today are going to shape for some time the road we choose. And with God's help, we're going to get it right. This past week, and we, we emailed it to everybody who had an email address for, and we did a hard copy letter to everybody on the mailing list, A series of simplifications and expansions for the parish. I want to frame those in a larger light, in a larger perspective. The most times moving from a 7.45 a.m. service to 8 a.m. right one. That will be now followed by clergy greeting at the door, coffee hour. Formation hour at nine fifteen for Godly play, all classes and dean's forum, which means for the first time in a long time the eight o 'clock crowd can participate in all of that and they 're very happy about that. I think most of them actually like a eight a m start time rather than seven forty five as well, but a full hour for Sunday school, which is something that our formation team and parents and grandparents have dreamed about for a long, long time, to have more time for that. And then one choral service at 10.30 a.m., right to, followed by clergy greeting at the door, which we're not able to do after the 9 a.m. during the program year, and followed by a huge coffee hour in Dagwell Hall, and then, of course, the wilderness at 6 p.m. This is a clear menu of choices for services. It certainly saves a lot of money, but that's not primarily what it's about. What that repacing of the morning does is it gives us more time and space outside and before the services for informal relationships, for informal conversations. And these are, in Dagwell Hall or with a cup of coffee, perhaps even in the restroom, what we do there is sometimes as important and even more important as what we do and hear. Even as much as the creeds we say, what we do informally implies something about what we believe about God. If you take the time to look somebody else in the eye and listen, if you take a few moments to repace yourself in just for 10 or 15 minutes slow down and act like you believe that God has given us enough time and we don't have to rush everywhere. If you tell a joke, if you laugh at a joke, even if it's not the best joke, all of these things imply something about what we believe about God, a God who has given us all the time that we need, even eternity to get it right. A God who listens to our stories, a God who in Christ looks us in the eye, a God who in Christ really knows what's in there. A God with a sense of humor. Have you heard the great line? Human beings are proof that God has a sense of humor. These informal moments are just as important as the gorgeous liturgy that we celebrate. Katie's watch and magical organization we're expanding pastoral care dramatically. She's already got something like 50 people that will eventually be on teams that do things like deliver casseroles, go sit with people, pray for people, offer spiritual care one-on-one, and on and on. But that move of, of doing more for one another is not just about being kinder or doing something nice. Although it is about that, it's also about a perspective in this parish. That this parish knows what's inside of you. We pay attention to the most tender parts of our hearts, souls, minds, and bodies. We know that the human story has ups and downs and plateaus, and we know why it matters. And that all of these things we experience in life are mysteriously and magically united with Christ's own story. We announced that we're expanding our work with young adults under Broderick's Watch. This is vital. We have a huge opportunity in Denver and in Capitol Hill as St. John's to grow a young adult community. There are three or four factors that are vital to get this right. We worked on this for years in Memphis, and we got to replicate here. And not everything replicates well from one parish to the other, but this does, I think. One is it's vital to have a priest who's a young adult, and thank God we've done that. The second thing that's vital is to carefully and clearly define what a young adult is. You ready? If you're in your mid to late 30s and 40s, you're going to be disappointed. We define young adult as someone who's 20 to 30-ish. That really is a young adult, and where we're going to focus. The third thing we found in Memphis that made all the difference is having an off-site gathering monthly young adults, and perhaps some of you are like this, just seem to relax a bit more sometimes outside of church than they do within. And the fourth factor, and this is where Broderick's brilliance will become more and more obvious to all of you, is having programs of depth, deep theology, where Young adults are brought into a conversation, not a monologue, but a conversation about how God relates to the deepest and most fascinating and difficult questions of our age. We've also announced the expansion of faith in action, that it's a permanent commission of the parish with six new members and a wonderful plan to continue for years And we're involved in service and in advocacy. We know how to do this. It might look a little new to some of you, but in fact, the great arc of this parish's history is all about faith in action. The first dean of this cathedral with support from this parish founded founded the United Way right here in Denver, Colorado, and it spread like wildfire throughout this country where it is still thriving today, making all the difference. You can draw a straight line from the founding of the United Way from within this parish to the St. Francis Apartments at Cathedral Square, a straight line. This parish within our DNA wants to be involved in big public projects that move the needle for the sake of anyone who is vulnerable in this neighborhood, this city, and this state. It's vital work, and we have people who are committed to it. We really believe there are three ways that FIA can guide us in terms of our hands and our imagination, big public projects like that. Second is advocacy, using our words, our power, our minds to help shift legislation here and nationally, And always speaking up for anyone who's vulnerable when any legislation change is made. The last piece that FIA is going to help us in terms of our imagination, baptismal covenant, we say any time we baptize a baby or an adult, that we will strive for justice and peace following Christ. Following Christ will respect the dignity of every human being. And what that means is what we're talking about is a way of life, not a committee sign up not simply grants, but a way of life, and that each and every one of us in this room has the ability to make a difference with the relationships that we have. FIA is not primarily for prophets and progressives, but we've got a few of those. It really is a call for all of us to pay attention in our families, our neighborhoods, our places of work, and wherever we go to anyone who is vulnerable and listen Listen, listen to their stories. In my last, in Memphis, we had a, a school, a parish school with about 500 kids. And we had daily chapel and literally kids everywhere, Monday through Friday. And so it was a huge part of, of, of work There. Every other week, Broderick and I would do the school chapels. Imagine preaching. The youngest we preached to was the preschool, and it was twos, threes, and fours. You for a moment, you people are a piece of cake. <laughs> one day I, I had done the lower school chapel, which was the one that was just divine. You felt like you were floating, they hung on every word, usually. And I had finished the service and unvested and had on my coat and my collar and was walking to, to meet with the head of school. And so I happened to be meandering through the halls to get to the head of school and I, I found myself behind a co-ed class of I think eight-year-olds. And we were walking down the hall. They were being pretty quiet and we came to a fork in the road or in the hallway. They were going left to the lower school. I was going right to the headmaster's office. And the class went left, and one little girl, eight years old, I didn't recognize her, and I would have. She was not a parishioner. I had 500 kids. She opened the door back again and stuck her head back in. And she looked at me, and she said, Thank you for teaching me about God. And she just closed the door. We simplify things, we expand things, we change times, we make decisions. It's all a means to an end. I think we'll get a lot right with God's help and your wisdom. I think we have already. I'm certain we'll make mistakes and need grace and forgiveness. But it's all a means to an end. It works well if it helps people experience something of God's presence. All of our prayers evoke God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A more interesting way of putting it or interpreting it might be to say that God is the source of all that we are, that Christ is this eternal word that constantly speaks a word of love and forgiveness to us, and that the Holy Spirit is this Invisible, gentle, mysterious presence that travels with us each breath and each step of this journey that each and every one of us are on. That's the experience of God. My dream, and it's probably too much to say that I have a dream, but my dream, really, what I hope for, is that we learn more and more about the fact that God is not boring. That God is in fact the most fascinating subject at the heart of all reality. That when powerful, we take just a moment to ask where is God in that? When we're moved by a piece of music that this choir sings and the beautiful organ music. Or moved by a piece of pop music or classical music or jazz. That we take just a moment to give thanks for the fact that God has created a world in which music is actually possible. That when we come across some nonprofit or some great decision by a governor or, I pray, a president that makes a difference for the sake of someone that's vulnerable or shifts a neighborhood to become more sane and safe that we take the time to give thanks for the fact that God does send prophets and wise ones and that our world can be continually reshaped into something holier and more beautiful and just and that we get a say in it, that we can move the needle, at least in small ways. That when we wrestle with the great personal questions in our lives that we bring God into that conversation, asking our hardest questions of Almighty God and laying all of our feelings on the line for none other than Christ. God is absolutely fascinating. So more of that. And may St. John's Cathedral continue to experience God here. May we realize and invite more people to realize that we can experience God anywhere and everywhere or in the words of the Eucharistic prayer that we will pray shortly. May God be thanked and praised in all times and in all places.